Mike. Welcome to A Need to Read. I feel like this is a long time coming and I'm 170 something episodes deep and this is your first appearance on the show. 170 episodes. Do you know what that means? I don't know. That means you're in like the top zero point something percent of podcasts already before we've even started. I know. How amazing is that? I've got like 400 and something thousand downloads and that is legit top 1%. And that is why... because isn't it only 1% of podcasts make it beyond, is it 100 episodes? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that's that's pretty impressive, my friend. It, I mean, it is, but it doesn't actually mean anything, does it? It just means loads of people don't do more than 10 episodes or 100 episodes. Yeah, but I'd also argue that if your podcast was nonsense, you probably wouldn't bother doing that many episodes of it, would you? Yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll see how... See how we can do with it today. See if we can make it not nonsense today. And I know it's a horrible question, but do just give give yourself a little introduction. Introduction. It is a hard ground. (laughs) I feel like there is a set. There's a certain cohort of people that really hate doing that, and I think those are my people. I'm one of them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I like I like people who find it uncomfortable to intro themselves. Um, So my name is Mike. I am a full time GP and. GP educator in the NHS. I train other GPs and run teaching sessions for them and things, um, or people to people who are doctors to be GPs. Um, but I also do lots of like chat about mental health and fitness and things because I think well, I've mental health has always been my favorite field of medicine from a mm. professional perspective, but also. I went through a quote unquote journey of lifestyle change. I'm sorry to laugh when I say that, but it's such a cringy <laughs> phrase. I think um, it takes time once you're out of it. Once yeah. you've got through it, you can be like, aha. See? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and I I sort of lost a lot of weight and got into exercise and eating. I was always into eating. That was a problem. <laughs> um, and I learned a lot on the way, but also mostly learned how little people like myself, doctors, and other health professionals really know about things like nutrition and actual lifestyle change and true real life behavior change. So I just got really fascinated by it. And I just, I don't often get fascinated by topics that are educational or like highbrow or interesting. I'm usually just get fascinated by things that entertain me or make me chuckle. So I, when I, when I find something interesting, I tend to kind of grab hold of it and talk about it on social media and things like that. So that's, that's why I ended up here probably. Yeah, I think it's more the uh, the quirky observations and things that also take your interest that aren't serious. Yeah, because that's that's one of my favorite things. I like. Let's go straight out there. Maybe one of your favorite books could be I don't know Jessica Simpson's book. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I could say so. So basically, I've I've just always had this theory about myself when it comes to entertainment. Like when I was growing up. I know like my mum always wanted me to read books and would always like I'd have to read a certain number of chapters of stuff because education was really important to my family and I properly you know was was into it and I you know did really well at school and did medicine and became a doctor and all of that kind of stuff but I think because of all of that reading to me was always something that I had to do to learn things and so I I kind of fell out with the idea of reading for pleasure i suppose in the first place but once i qualified and once i started working 
I really fell out with the idea of being entertained by serious things. And like, I can almost, I can map my own mental state by the kind of entertainment that I consume. And I think Mm. what happened obviously in the beginning of 2020 was from a professional perspective, I sort of entered this very strange abyss, like everybody else did Mm. of um, terror from a like not just a life perspective but from a professional perspective like there was all of these stories happening whereby you know I had I had ideas of a like my job literally killing me by me catching this terrible new strain of viral disease that lots of people were dying from I also thought I was potentially going to have to be drafted back into hospitals to to do the kind of work that that actually like joking aside probably traumatized me a fair bit in my early years of being a junior doctor that I just never wanted to return to again yeah. I was counting the days of getting out of the hospital when I was training to be a GP so the idea of going back was was really quite terrifying and it was kind of one of the first times I'd really sort of faced this weird like you know fear I suppose mm. and I, I responded in the only way that I know how, which was to turn to completely lowbrow entertainment on every single level possible. So I was only watching not even just bad reality TV, but like the worst reality <laughs> that you could probably think of. Um, and I was I was like, oh, I need a, I need an audio book because. I also have this thing about I don't want to listen to songs that I like at this time because I don't want them to remind me of this time. Like it's really, it's very strange how the mind works. I think in such situations. So I remember oh, yeah. looking for an audio book to listen to to just have on in the car to distract me. And I came across the Jessica Simpson autobiography, which is called Open Book, <laughs> and I just was like, "This is the opposite of coronavirus. I can't think of anything that is that is further away from COVID." than open book by jessica simpson a book in which like actually on the audiobook she actually cries while telling like sad stories from her childhood and not stuff funny. like that not funny at all mate um and so yeah that was that was what i turned to i definitely you know i wouldn't say it was my favorite book or that it had a, a particular impact on me kind of from an intellectual perspective but i tell you what something that it did teach me is that you don't really know anything about someone until you hear their story like I think yeah. you probably would make a lot of assumptions that it would be just quite a generic sort of pop star story. But um, I didn't realize that she's like a massive business entrepreneur and is one of the most successful business women's women's business <laughs> women's. <laughs> I don't know. What do we call them again? <laughs> Whammon. Um, so, yeah, it was it was an interesting story, actually, that one that I was not expecting. <laughs> I like that. And I think it's, well, old philosophers used to say that like when life gets so terrible, you should just resort to art and kind of like stare at paintings. Mm. But I guess that's evolved now into like cribs and the Kardashians. Exactly. Exactly. I, I never went that far. I did. I tried to watch, um, oh, I shouldn't say this because my cousin is actually a producer on one of these shows, but I tried, there was one show that I tried to watch and I was like, no, nah, too far. And I was proud of myself. I was like, at least, at least I still have limits. Okay, this is going to be like a UK-based show, reality TV. It's not UK. Oh, no, okay, all right. Well, I don't know it then. I'll never know. Um, but that's an interesting way to manage your mental health is to... Well, by just complete, I'm, like, just, just ignoring turning it. off. Ignoring yeah. it, switching off. And yeah. it's... Um, I guess there's a time and a place for that, is there? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it just it's always interested me. I've always found that like when work, the, the harder work is, the more that outside of work, I don't want to be stressed out by things that I that, you know, I don't want to watch a, like a, you know, 24 or whatever, mm-hmm. where you're Holby City like, on edge. I, yeah, exactly. A Holby City. Well, that was another thing. Like I, I stopped being able to watch um, medical stuff completely, except mm-hmm. for Casualty and Holby City, because it's so silly yeah is it is it just because like when you're a doctor and you know it you're like oh they're doing that wrong oh they're doing that wrong oh that's not realistic oh it was more like i just i'd spent all day in a hospital i didn't want to spend all evening in a in a like in a hospital as well like you know relating to these stories or worrying about them or whatever it just it's just sort of been there like been there done that and it's funny because when i was a medical student and people who had qualified would tell me that this i would be like but no, that's crazy. Like you really love medicine, so you definitely would love watching hospital stuff. But uh, it it went pretty quick. Yeah. Well, your life and and what you enjoy doing outside of work is can, can be different. Like I, I feel be. like if you, your passion, like say with me, like my passion is books, and it's annoying when the lines get blurred mm. with that and and work and like play. It's um yeah, it's frustrating. And I genuinely worry about this with because there is a lot of rhetoric out there about, you know, how you should love your job. And if you love your job, you'll never work a day in your life. But I kind of think if you love your job, then you work every day in your life. And that mm. is worse. Um, but I suppose like I have an interesting relationship with work because there's a lot of sunk cost fallacy, I think, in in what why I've ended up doing what I do. Like I didn't massively enjoy medical school, although I, I did enjoy being at medical school. Mm. And then when I qualified, I absolutely hated it. Like I hated my job. Um, and there was kind of this part of me that was like, what what do I do now? Like I've invested all of this time into doing this. So I can't, I can't leave, which is yeah. a classic sunk cost fallacy. Um, just the idea that you can't change it. But actually what that did for me at the time was the idea that I couldn't leave meant that, well, I've got to make the most of it. And I've also got to find ways to fill the rest of my life with things that I love. Like that's when I started doing stuff like writing because I thought, well, you know, if I, let's say I wanted to be a writer, I can't, I don't have to not be a writer because I'm a doctor. I can be both. Um, You know, I might not be able to become a rock star, but I never would have been able to do that anyway. Like, I think it's also important to to realize that your actual limitations, because some people can't do what they would love to do because they'd be rubbish at it. Yeah. I think when you think about the sunk cost fallacy in relation to like leaving things or stopping doing things, I don't know if sometimes it can be a little bit short-sighted. Like they, they, it's not as black and white as it's kind of like made out to be. Mm. I think sometimes like, you might be in something for eight years. It might be a little bit shit now for like six months. And then in a year's time, it picks up again. Yeah. And like, that's kind of like the ebbs and flows of life. You can't just be like, well, I put seven years into this and I don't want to do it. So I guess, fuck it. The right yeah. thing to do would be remain present and throw it all out to the window. Cause it's like life's so much more complex than that. Yeah. Um, which is frustrating, right? Yeah. And I, I think it's probably a game of extremes, isn't it? I think there are some people that, that completely throw the baby out with the bathwater the minute, you know, things aren't working out exactly how they want to. And there are some people who stay miserable for an entire career's worth of time in a job that they should never have been in in the first place because they didn't want to throw that time away. And 
there there will be a balance somewhere to be found like with everything as to what is actually reasonable and what isn't but the the trouble is with stuff like that is that you never really know what the right decision was no but generally i think in life people end up making the most of whatever decision they make i think there's probably something that's self-protective in that because i i think it'd be quite rubbish to get to the end of life and go I really messed up that go, didn't I? I wish I yeah. could. I wish I could do that again. Do it again. And I think yeah. there's probably something that just stops people from believing that because it would ultimately be quite harmful. Yeah. Well, I think the brain's like it's a very complex and quite yeah. an intelligent organ, isn't it? it? It protects us by shielding information and and will make us make sense of something somewhere. Yeah. And I mean, what's the worst that could happen at the end? You don't, and then. And then you're dead anyway. You so it's a yeah. yeah. Um, I just, so as as a, a GP and as someone who's gone through your own like mental health journey, what's your opinion on the like mental health landscape in the UK? Because the the way that I see it, and obviously I'm not in the medical profession, I'm just reading about stuff, so I don't mm. have any like hands on um, experience. Is that what is currently happening doesn't seem to to effective because numbers seem to constantly kind of like be on the rise around suicide and people who have a quote unquote like mental health condition Mm -hmm. and that's just on the up i kind of feel like the nhs are being given an impossible task in in some way but where do you feel the landscape is okay so just before i i go into that I just would like to just be clear, my own mental health journey, I re- I get really frustrated when people pretend to have had like a really complex story about mental mm. health because they want to sound relatable or whatever. My mental health story was literally that I found work quite hard and was worried about the pandemic, just like everybody else was. And mm. I got a bit stressed out about it and listened to a really terrible audiobook and watched some bad TV and mm. I'm fine. Um, you know, like I think I don't think I struggled more than anyone else did in in that sort of arena. So I definitely don't want to paint it as like a as a struggle that wasn't that that was was more than it was. Yeah, but um, it can it can still be valid for sure. No, it's <laughs> valid, and I I fully accept it actually. And you know, it, I I definitely experienced things throughout the pandemic, like in terms of my emotions and and my mental health that I've never experienced before. Um, and it's it's useful to have that sort of insight as well. To what that feels like and um, but i think i was very lucky and much luckier than a lot of people were so i just i'm always reticent to kind of you know to yeah, yeah. go like check you know, your privilege it was top- yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. um so i think that it's a that's a really 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 interesting question and i think what will always be interesting about my take on this and this is something i've reflected on quite a lot is that i'm not an epidemiologist so i don't have a kind of global or nationwide grasp on what is happening overall what i do have is what i see and what's impossible for me to see is the unmet need of my own patients so i know about all of the patients that i see that that come and talk to me about their mental health that discuss it and i know what happens to them well i don't even know what happens to them a lot of the time i know that i probably assume that they've got better if they don't come back to see me or I know that they've got worse if they do come back to see me. Or sometimes I know that they've got better because they come back and let me know, right? Yeah. Um, but what I don't know is how many people are ringing up and asking for an appointment with me or not getting through or asking for an appointment with somebody else and not getting the treatment that they wanted. It, I mean, it's also difficult to tell how people actually feel about 
what's happening. So I could very easily have a consultation. And this has happened many, many times where I will see somebody and we'll have a discussion about mental health and we'll go through things. And I will do what I consider to have been a, a really useful consultation. We'll come to a conclusion. We'll explain it. They will really appear to engage in what I'm saying and and feel like it's the right decision and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and I will really feel like I've potentially had a really positive impact in that situation. And then 30 minutes later, I've got a receptionist telling me that patient that you saw earlier is called up to complain and they want to see somebody else. Wow. So, and I, and I, I think that, that that's something that is inherent in mental health. If you are struggling with your mental health, you may well also struggle to say, I don't agree with what you're saying, or you're yeah. not listening to me, or you're not understanding what I'm saying. So I think that there is a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to that sort of stuff. And I think that often what we hear from a medical professional isn't always what they're trying to say or what they're saying mm. even because we're, we're when we're struggling with our mental health, we're in a place where we might not be necessarily receiving information loud and clear. We might have our own sensitivities. We might be picking up on nuances in communication that make us think that that person doesn't like us or something like that, that is putting us off what's going on. Or they may, you know, th there's all sorts of things at play during that, during those scenarios that, that make the, the, the consultation fraught with you know those sorts of potential misunderstandings yeah. so i think it's really easy for me to say no i like, like i love mental health i see lots of mental health patients and they're really happy with the service that they receive and stuff like that it just isn't it's not realistic that that will no. always happen um i think it's very very different regionally from the perspective yeah. that i think there are lots of services that are available in some places and not in others but more than that there are lots of services which are vastly overstretched in certain areas compared to others, because, you know, as you are fully aware, mental health is so intrinsically linked to socioeconomic factors, yeah. deprivation, all of that sort of stuff as well, types of jobs that people do, substances, all of that kind of stuff, which is often very different in different areas. Yeah. Um, and we all practice regionally in general practice. So it, it can be quite different. And it, you know, it can be quite easy for me to get a mental health review for somebody. Whereas in, you know, in Hackney, for example, it might be a different story. Although in London, they have vast different services for different subspecialties and all that kind of stuff, for example. Whereas yeah, we wouldn't have access to that where I work. Yeah, it's a good place to get ill, London. Well, depending on how you look <laughs> at it. Well, you know, there's a couple of hospitals you break your leg outside of, you know, you're going to be taken care of, or if you just That's like true. find a tumor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's tough really to say like what, what the landscape is because you, you see your part of it and it, I guess like I mean, you don't really need like to start thinking of beyond the scope of your, I guess responsibility because you, yeah, you can sure. actually do something about it. It's like it's like I can kind yeah. of like learn the statistics about it and not actually have to put anything into practice ever or see the real life example. Yeah. But I suppose you've you've got to work on like doing the best job possible for those. Yeah, but also like you know, essentially, I'm you know I'm a partner in a GP practice, so I'm partly responsible for running the service, and I'm the mental mm. health lead. So so it does in you know of course it interests me. Like I need to not, I need to know, I you know want to know what are we not doing that we could be yeah. doing better, for example, but it's not, you know, the GP services aren't the mental health services. So there is that 
you know, they, there comes a stage when, you know, very little of mental health is dealt with by the GP. The GP might be signposting to some self-help. Um, they might be signposting to other organizations like Mind or Calm or whatever. They might be referring to other services or signposting to counseling, and they might be prescribing yeah. medication. But really, out of all of those things, medication is the only one that I'm physically doing myself. I'm making a decision yeah. on what what medication. I'm not even deciding what type of therapy they get when they go to the counseling service. You know, yeah. I'm sending them to a counseling service to have a triage call to decide what type of therapy they they may or may not qualify for. So it is, um, you know, deciding. I'm sort of helping with what they need, but I'm not necessarily the one that's delivering it. Yeah, so yeah, okay. that that can be difficult as well because I might go, oh yeah, great, let's do counselling. But then they might go to the counselling service and they might, you know, they might get send them a letter and the letter goes to the wrong address or gets delivered next door and they never engage with the counselling service and that just never happens. Yeah, difficult. it's a shame as well because like people's motivations to do the things that are helpful vary so much. Like when you're truly unwell. Like it's yeah. it's all nice to think that people on the internet say, oh, you can you can just decide to it's like get yourself better. You can decide to start doing all these healthy things to get in the way. But it's like, then so they might not have the motivation to do those things. Um, and it doesn't mean that like people shouldn't talk about it. And this is the, the the other thing I I do actually like paradoxically get frustrated when people get criticised for recommending these like slightly minimal things like having a bath because yeah. actually those are the things that what will help yeah, a yeah. lot of people and i think that a lot of people end up coming to see their gps because they don't have access to understand how to manage their emotions for example yeah it's not always mental illness it's not always a diagnosis sometimes it's because they don't have enough baths i'm not you know i'm not, unlikely to say that diagnosis to a patient but i think like over time if you don't do all of these little things that look after you and that mm. maintain your mental well-being it will come to a point where your mental well-being is at a lower level than it would have been yeah. and i think that these little you know these little one percent things just get a really bad rap like you know people are like oh what you know telling someone to have a a bath isn't going to stop them from wanting to end their life right which no yeah. of course it's not but if you do loads of these little things cumulatively over time i mean even if you're just feeling one percent better it's still better than where you were and of yeah. course you need to implement the bigger things as well but those are small things that aren't going to do any harm but like you say if you're then convincing them that if that's not what fixes it there's something wrong with them then that's tough as well yeah well it's kind of like the way i see it is it's kind of moralized and I, my mental health ebbs and flows kind of like mm. everyone else's and like sometimes it's really really shit right and you would then go online and you see it's like, yeah, why don't you just think positive? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? So this exhaustive list of things you can do to feel mm. better. And like, there's just, there's no motivation there. And it's not like, it's just like, there's, there's no discipline. You're a piece of shit. It's just like, there's just, you can't, you don't have that get up and go. It's like that, that little piece you like has been taken out. Mm. And then maybe content about a bath could really help that person. But then also 
it could make them go, oh, you think a bath's going to fucking sort me out, do you? Mm. <laughs> it's, it's tough, isn't it? It is. But, but this is, again, why social media isn't always the best place to communicate these things. This is why I struggled, like particularly now where we've moved into more of a culture whereby people want, you know, rather than a post with a lengthy caption that a lot of people might read, yeah. people want a three second video. And actually you can't really explain nuance in those sorts of things, which means that we're ending up in a situation where social media is becoming less of a place for education, which I think we were getting to the point where actually a lot of people were using social media to learn things. Mm. And it's tougher to do that now than it was maybe three or four years ago. Um, and that's that's a bit sad. And, you know, I, I find particularly like if I if I do a post about mental health, it's it will be the least popular thing that I will do that week on social media. Um, yeah. And I don't know where that comes from, but it, it makes me sad because I want people to know these things. Yeah, it's endlessly frustrating how poorly the like serious posts that you do do like mm. I, like i spoke to a guy who's like a suicide researcher had like quite an important thing that i thought people might like to know about the language used around suicide mm. so that people don't get upset you know at mm. a time when we could just try to avoid upsetting them um and it got like 14 like shown to like 900 of the mm. people and it's like oh god and then i just do one like pretend like poking fun at someone and that gets seen by loads of people mm -hmm. and it's like it's weird because yeah i guess people don't want their education on instagram anymore no i mean and i i think that i guess you know the other the other side of that argument is that we're trying to use an entertainment platform to educate people yeah and actually, if that's not what people want from that platform that's not that unreasonable um yeah. but i suppose we're just trying to use all of these methods to just like sneak this information into people that we think might be beneficial to them yeah um, but i suppose it's not it's not that surprising in a lot of ways that 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 doesn't always get to it but you know the way that i see it like is that i would rather seven percent of the people that have chosen to follow me see a post about that than zero percent of them yeah so it's you're always going to <laughs> this is actually an argument that my that that an accountant gave me once mm. when people were talking about oh there's no point in earning above a certain amount of money because you just pay more tax and he was basically saying but you will always you will always have more money if you earn more money and that's like <laughs> When you would always have less money if you earn less money. So you will always educate more people if you do more educational posts. Yeah. It just, it's a diminishing returns for sure, but you're always going to get less education if you don't do it at all. Little... It's a really terrible analogy. And I'm sorry that it popped into my head and I, I thought, I oh, it. this is potentially a good analogy. And as only when I said it out loud, I was like, that's not actually <laughs> that great. It was going to be a really good one. No, I think that's quite a good idea because uh, lots of people would kick up a fuss if say tax rates were going to go up and you're like well there's no point earning oh uh, yeah i think it's all right mike i wouldn't give yourself a hard time over that one that. Appreciate save, save that for something else 
I'm just interrupting the proceedings here with my seedy porno music to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp provide an online therapy service to people through video calls or through chat or through online communications because it is an online therapy platform. Now, that means that you can get access to that within 48 hours of completing the application and you can be matched with a therapist who suits your need. Now, It's no secret that the human condition can be pretty tough at times, but chatting about that with a professional seems for most people to have profoundly positive effects. Now, if you're one of those people who's on the fence about therapy, please let me just come along and push you off over to the other side because therapy helped my life and I'm sure it'll probably help yours as well. It's just one part of the puzzle, but it's quite an important piece. Now, if you want to get your therapy sorted, you want to chat to a therapist, head to BetterHelp dot com forward slash a need to read and you can get 10% off your first month and be matched with a therapist within a couple of days details for that are in the description and all you have to do is click one link it's pretty easy now please enjoy the rest of the conversation with dr mike and i um so with your journey of self-improvement you say you got into exercise and into food how did that change your life it's a very good question. Um, I think, I think probably the biggest thing that it taught me was just, I guess, how much one can be capable of if, mm. if like, if you decide to do something and you have the motivation to do it, there aren't that many things that are unachievable. Do you really think that? Um, not anything. But I think I think that we tell ourselves a lot. We have a lot. I think people have a lot of limiting beliefs. Yeah. And I think that I I spent most of my life believing that I would spend the rest of my life being fat. Mm. You know, it, and you can argue all day about whether that matters or not. But it clearly did matter to me. Yeah. And you know, from from a perspective of like again a very important discussion to have when talking about things like lifestyle change is our privilege and our ability to change and yeah. i think that a lot of people are uh, in poor health through absolutely no fault of their own and through socioeconomic factors access to food the food environment and all of those things and perhaps a you know lack of privilege and lack of education and all of all of the things that can lead to to that but i think for myself I was in that position because I had no interest in health or my own health. And I was, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was lazy. I was physically lazy. I was never, I always prioritized academia and doing well at school to the point that I guess my little area of rebellion was not bothering at things like sports or practical skills. And I think that, you know, when you grow up with certain like, character traits or 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 general life traits yeah you can feel like those things are who you are rather than something that is a situation at that time and i think that through several failed attempts to lose weight i was very much of the belief that i was just you know i was a fat person not i was somebody who had carried extra body fat for example um and so i think the process of changing that and to such a degree and to such a level of maintaining it, um, like I felt prouder of doing that than probably than I did of becoming a doctor. 
for the simple reason that becoming a doctor was that was the destiny like that was always going to happen there was no doubt about it the motivation was there every opportunity was laid out for me like a conveyor belt all I needed to do was take a step forward each time I'm not going to lie it was hard work and I had to put effort in but there was no stage where the outcome was at risk if I didn't put the work in I had the intelligence I had the education I had I came from the kind of school that gets people into universities. I had all of the guidance that I needed from adults and other professionals yeah. to make sure that I had a decent application forms and exam results and all that kind of stuff. Do you but, think? Sorry, I was going to say. Do you think it's like the two different types of like hard like labor? Like you have the mentally taxing labor of like people who who seem to be able to try hard at school mm-hmm. and to pick up topics, and then there are the people who seem to be able to apply themselves physically to things and they're two very different types of tasking tasks i think yeah i do think they are very different and i think sometimes they coexist a lot in the same people and i guess it's sorry is that that why that like losing the weight kind of meant more than getting being being a gp becoming a doctor because like it wasn't the kind of hard work you're used to being good at I, i mean that was part of it but i think the other part of it was that I was achieving something that I and nobody else ever thought would happen. Yeah. Everyone thought I'd become a doctor. Everyone I knew, like it was not, it wasn't a surprise. It was just doing it. And all I had to do was do it. And actually it turned out that, you know, weight loss is very similar. You just have to do the things that you need to do to do it. Yeah. And I was in a position to be able to do those things. Like I could afford to get a personal trainer if I wanted one. I could afford Mm. to, you know, um, or I could read like things about nutrition and understand them whereas other people might not have been able to so i had like everything was on my side but the motivation wasn't there and so i think achieving something without that motivation and without that self-belief is much harder than achieving it with it yeah um and i don't think it's a i don't think it's a better or a bigger achievement than becoming a doctor but i just remember at the time it was just so surprising to me like it was the kind of thing that I really wanted to go back in time and tell my teenage self that this thing happens because like you you would never believe it. You would never believe what we do. (laughs) I know, exactly, exactly. And I think that's really, I think that's really powerful for somebody's confidence to achieve something they didn't think that they could achieve. Yeah. So again, I mean, that comes back to your question about do you genuinely think that people can achieve anything? Now, of course, I don't think people can achieve anything. But I think that, it's a shame that we don't always reach our full potential because of limiting beliefs that we have hmm. about ourselves. Yeah, I think, I think we like talk a... ourselves out of trying a lot because we think we might not achieve it. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think that's like a protective mechanism, isn't it? It's like don't open yourself up to it. Don't become the failure that you think you probably already are. It's like those like self-fulfilling prophecies. I think it's it's really interesting I know I'm going to go back to it about you saying that it meant more to you because that must be like so validating. I don't know what people listening are feeling like right now, but that must be so validating for people because someone might have gone through a similar journey and then just forgotten that they'd achieved that. Right. And then just thought, Oh, the rest of my life fucking sucked. I wish I was a doctor. Mm-hmm. And you will be like, hold on that one thing. There was a one guy who thought that was better than doing that. So it's wiped out. Yeah, is it and funny I, like, what other people like prefer in their life or feel more proud of? 
Oh, exactly. And I, I'm sure that part of it, there's probably a lot of psychology in sort of why I work in sort of, like in sort of fitness and stuff like that, because perhaps that was a place where I never felt like I would be accepted in that sort of realm or whatever. And I think that that's part of it too. But I think, I think it's not, and again, I don't want to be all like diet culture about it because I don't want to say yeah. like, weight loss is my biggest achievement. But but when yeah. I when I talk about it, I don't mean losing weight. I mean the changes that I made, like actually changing how I approach those sorts of things. Like the idea that I go to the gym regularly, for example, were just it, like totally ludicrous. Like when I was at medical school, I I'm like remember the first time I had a gym membership was because I was put on placement in North Devon, and I didn't have my own TV. And there was like a, a like communal TV for the whole hospital. And I was like, I want to watch like EastEnders. And so I joined a gym so I could go and like sit on the exercise bike. And watch <laughs> EastEnders. You know, like that was the level of disinterest that I had in exercise. So yeah. then, you know, like win member of the year at a gym. Yeah. was just so mind blowing. Like to have a podcast that is like a fitness podcast yeah That's ridiculous it's almost like i don't know i think i think a lot of people get a kick out of achieving something that they didn't think that they could achieve mm. um rather than achieving something that they were always you know that they were always going to be quite good at yeah kind of like stepping out their own expectations yeah. for themselves and i i think skill development even like when you start really small is is like a good little confidence builder mm -hmm. and i always like revert back to just learning how to juggle because i could never learn i couldn't juggle and mm -hmm. now i can juggle and it's because like when i had covid i was bored and i was like right i want to see if what people say about like just doing something repeatedly means that you can do it and now i can yeah. juggle i can juggle with like you know the little balls balls the like, heavy ones so like yeah. that looks really cool yeah it's basically it's just like elevated my status as a person for the yeah. rest of my life because i can now juggle but also i think <laughs> like teaching yourself that doing something that you're not very good at makes you better at it and makes it easier is, is mm. like really really powerful like i and, and i think we often believe oh i'm not very good like when i started doing public speaking my thought process was that i really don't like public speaking but it wasn't that I didn't like public speaking. It's that I was terrified of public speaking. And yeah. the more public speaking I did, the less terrified I was of it. And then actually it wasn't a problem anymore. And I wouldn't have been doing it if I didn't enjoy it. I was just scared yeah. of it. And I think that's the thing is that enjoyment, like fear and anxiety have very similar um, things in common with excitement, don't they? So mm -hmm you know, it's quite difficult to to actually sort through what your feelings are when you just feel uncomfortable in a situation. Yeah, I think it's like it's it's if you can tune into your body in that way, because I feel like the, the times when I, I always relate this back to when I was like playing football as a kid, mm -hmm. well, like before a game, I'd start getting all nervous. And obviously, like the blood will go from my organs, not go to mm -hmm. my limbs and get me ready. And then that makes mm -hmm. you feel kind of sick. It makes you feel yeah. anxious, a bit nervous. Yeah. And I guess that's just what happens when you get scared in other scenarios. Your body's like, shit, we do not need blood in our stomach right now. Let's get it somewhere yeah. more important. And then you're like, yeah, <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah. not shit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's horrible. And I, I know that I have a tendency when I'm scared of something, I normally just avoid it. I normally mm. just give up. You're um, human. Yeah, 
and I think that that's because I've always I've always been good at stuff that didn't scare me like I wasn't really scared of school so I could just be good at that and not bother doing any of the other stuff but I think it's far more powerful to allow yourself to be bad at something and that's why I that's why often when I talk about stuff like fitness on social media, it's often about how bad I am at it because I think it's much more powerful to for people to realize that you can be active and you can be healthy and you can exercise regularly without absolutely loving it and being really perky and irritating about it. Like actually, it is 6.30 in the morning. I don't really want to go to the gym, but I know that I do on a higher level want to go to the gym. Yeah. So I can whinge my way through it, but that's okay because I'm still doing it. Yeah. I like that. I like that you allow people to whinge. You know, a big advocate of a whinge I because love a whinge. it's so healthy. Yeah, to be able Good to point. point at things like this is fucking annoying. Yeah. I'm not enjoying this, but yeah. I'm doing it. You know, and that's kind of what you do. Yeah, because I think people... it's it's Thank valuable you. for people to see. Like you, you know, if you're if you're somebody, if you were me like ten years ago, mm. and you're watching a video of just people going, "I love going to the gym. It's so great. This is amazing. Look at this great exercise I'm doing." I'd be like, oh, "Leave me alone. Not I'm definitely not interested in that." But if I'm watching somebody who is really active and you know doing it and going, "This is really rubbish, but it's really good for me," and it you know it gives me all of these benefits, but I really don't enjoy doing it while I'm doing it, I can relate to that and I can go, "Oh, well, maybe I maybe I can give that a go. Maybe I don't have to love it to do it." Yeah. And I think that there is a whole cohort of people who aren't engaging in behavior change because they think they have to love it to do it. Yeah. I think thinking you have to love anything to do it is yeah. is such a big mistake because you can learn to love things as you get better at them as well. Because like yeah. there's lots of fun things available for people to do in this world that probably take like maybe two years of like kind of doing it once or three times a month to actually Mm -hmm. get competent at it so you can start having fun and like surfing is one of those things for me i'm now like at the best surf of my life yesterday at the fake fake wave at bristol and i've been surfing for like three and a bit years yeah and like there's times i've gone out for like two hours and not caught a single wave i'm like wow i hope i'm good one day And oh, it's so nice. It's so nice to actually see the improvement. And be like, oh yes, yeah. it's actually working. It wasn't bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Right, Mike, you've got some uh books with you. <laughs> I thought I'd better bring some books just in case. And just maybe to look me like to make me look not quite so, you know, low brow as as per previous conversation. Just I think just based on time, the pretty healthy. Pretty unhealthy. Pretty unhealthy. Yeah. Can you, so explain books. explain that health book, please. So this is a book by Dr. Nikki Stamp, who is a cardiothoracic surgeon in Australia. Um, and I think she's one of, I can't remember how many, but very, very few female cardiothoracic surgeons. And she's just really Ooh. great at communicating basically how we've sort of messed up our relationship with food and exercise and how health has become a lot more about what we about looking healthy rather than being healthy and that sort of seems to have superseded actual health as a Mm. as a goal for people and actually because we're always prioritizing those sorts of unattainable ideals that actually we're sacrificing our own health in the process like by just focusing on you know aesthetics and all of that sort of stuff I just find that 
really interesting because I think mm. we all, anyone who's been on a behavior change journey goes through that process of kind of thinking it's just all about losing weight and about looking better. And then they start to realize that perhaps some of the practices that they're using to do that, that is kind of under the, you know, you're doing these things, this thing that is under the umbrella of supposedly being for your health. And you're thinking, is it that healthy for me to be doing X, Y, or Z? Yeah. Like, that's not what I should be doing. Because so, it can yeah. over, overtake your life. I like that. I think our obsession with becoming handsomer is going to yeah. be a, on a lot of people's regrets list when they get older. Yeah. yeah. It's a real shame. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to Rejig do? all of society? Exactly. I think not. <laughs> exactly. Not uh, possible. And you've got your favorite book there your actual favorite book and I, i've actually started baking recently so i'm getting into it as well so i've always do, got to do tell so this again and again so this is food for the soul by lucy lord um and it, I, it's a very important it's a very important book for me because it again signifies that period through the pandemic where Again, like you talking about juggling, I decided to take up a hobby and I decided to take up baking to kind of just try and give myself a bit of a challenge. Um, and what I found about Lucy's content, you know, in and out of the book, like on her website and mailing list and stuff was that mm. it just doesn't have the level of pretense that I had got used to from cooking information. It is this is how you put ingredients together to make this food. And that yeah. is, you know, the, the, such simple instructions and such clear instructions and uh, this level of understanding that, you know, like when you hear her talk about how to cook things and how to bake things, you actually almost assume that she's probably not very good at it because she's quite self-deprecating. <laughs> yeah. And she uses terminology that people who aren't cooks or bakers understand and she explains to you how to do those things that you don't know how to do unless you're a really experienced cook or baker and i think that a lot of people in that space who are good at, at you know and have been just good at all of that stuff for ages forget what they didn't know yeah. um but actually obviously she's not she is really good <laughs> and she, <laughs> she just the, the recipes themselves like are just they're just great recipes and they work and i feel like you don't have to be really talented to be able to make them awesome yeah so, it's a nice it's another way to kind of like surprise yourself and give yourself a little bit of boosted confidence to yeah. like ex experiment a little bit and, and cook a little bit more exactly, I, exactly. my mum is probably lucy lord's biggest fan uh and she loves subclub plus and i'm yeah. getting like new baked goods every single friday when yeah. subclub comes out and like both of Lucy's books have been great. Like I made like the cookies yeah. recently, brownies out of them. I'm going to make like an adult meal out of something soon. Yeah. But the baking, the baking it's like, yeah. it's not even hard. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the thing is like, I think you can genuinely just close your eyes and open a page of the book and it will be a recipe that you will be able to make. Yeah. And I like how she's, she's genuinely really honest about which recipes are tricky. Like she will write in the recipe. This is one of the trickier bakes. Yeah. That, you know so like you kind of People know what need to, to hear expect. yeah exactly because it's really like again it can be really demoralizing if you attempt to do something <laughs> and are rubbish at it and assume that you're supposed to be good at it yeah definitely well dr mike this has been such a lovely conversation i, I really agree. enjoyed having you on I, I really much enjoyed it myself do it again
Damn it. Definitely. It's have to end. And um, where can people find you? I know your short, sharp, conf- your uh, content content is on Instagram, but you do have a newsletter as well where you write like longer form content. And I hope my listeners like to read longer form content. If I you think don't, they do. grow up, guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Show up, everyone. <laughs> so it, my weekly email is called The Doctor's Note. Um, and the link to it is in my Instagram, which is Dr. Mike the second. So it's D-R-M-I-K-E-T-H-E-2-N-D. I've made a rod for my own back with that ridiculous username, but it's the same on everything. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, um, and it's Dr. Mike the second.com forward slash subscribe. It's a terrible website. It's only really there to have a subscription link for the newsletter really, but um it is what it is we do what we it's do job. um yeah so uh yeah oh well thank you very much for coming thank on to the show me much appreciated oh you thought i'd be there at the start didn't you and i wasn't and then i was in at the middle and now i'm here at the end and i've catch on your toes so no one can confuse me with a boring podcaster because I've kept you on your toes. So you're welcome for that. And also, I'd just like to thank you, dear listener, for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it on to a friend, put a poster up of my face and a QR code to that episode and put it around your village. The opportunities to share this podcast are pretty much endless, depending on your creativity. So please share it. Everything else you might need it's just in the description of the episode. I'll be back with, well, I've got quite a few podcasts lined up. One of them about free will and consciousness and the perception-based reality uh, that we live in. That's quite an interesting one. I've got one about how life is hard because life is pretty hard um, and how we can rely on philosophy when things get tough. I've got quite a few good podcasts coming up. So keep your eyes peeled, subscribe, you know, like, maybe even leave a review. But I'll be back soon with some content for you. That was a good poem. Love you. Goodbye.